0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Tech to Transform, the Mantis podcast. This episode, we delve into a topic we've not visited before, homelessness. As I recorded this incredibly interesting and moving episode, Prince William was making headlines by volunteering for the big issue. He said that the experience was truly eye-opening, and I felt the same way after my chat with Seb Barker, COO and co-founder of Beam, the world's first crowdfunding platform for homeless people. Seb was joined by Councillor Ellie Cut kelvin from Leicester City Council. We all discussed Beans' tech-driven approach to solving homelessness, as well as its partnership with Leicester and the city's strong innovation ethos. Both also gave me some inspiring examples of what happens when people, charities, government and companies work together and how millions of homeless people can benefit. Take a listen. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Tech to Transform. Um, Today, we're diving into the tech-driven approach to solving homelessness. So a completely new topic for Mantis, but a really, really interesting one. So I'm going to let our contributors introduce themselves, and then we're going to dive straight in. So Seb, can we start with you?
1: Sure. I am Seb, and I am the co-founder at Beam.org.
0: Lovely. Thank you. And Ellie? Ellie?
2: Hi, um, I'm Ellie. I'm a councillor in Leicester, but I also um, am the assistant mayor for housing and education in Leicester.
0: Lovely, thank you. Okay, Seb, so can we start with you then? So can we define homelessness in Britain today? A nice big topic to start with, just to ease us into it. (laughs) Um, Could you talk about, from your experience, what does it mean both to a person experiencing homelessness, but also to society in general, I think it's good to kind of set the scene here, isn't it?
1: For sure. Yeah. And I think often when you talk about homelessness, the main thing people think of is just sort of rough sleepers, people sleeping on the street. And it is really shocking to walk down high streets across the UK and see how visible uh, and desperate the situation has become. But it's even more shocking to realise that's actually only 5% of the homeless population. So 95% of people are not rough sleeping, they're in hotels, b and sofa surfing, kind of out of sight. Um, and those numbers are not just high, but also increasing as well. So according to Shelter, uh, there's 274,000 homeless people in England alone. And that includes 126,000 children. So it's a really, really stark uh, picture. And I've worked in homelessness for nearly my entire career. And for the people experiencing it, it can be of course, really, really traumatic. The instability of not having a place to, to call home the feelings of hopelessness that come from being forced to live week to week and the lack of self-belief and isolation that sort of then ends up coming with that and of course this is often coupled with or triggered by other challenging situations so family breakdowns fleeing domestically abusive relationships uh, health issues growing up in a carer's system and so on uh, so for people in those situations who face all those barriers getting a job or moving into stable housing can seem really insurmountable um, and I think the flip side is for that, of that is that for society as a whole, it's really easy to kind of mirror that uh, powerlessness in some ways. So particularly in cities, you'll walk past homeless people every day, but not really have any idea um, how to help. And so kind of level of empathy exists there, but it often can't really be um, effectively channeled into anything. Um, so BEAM is really looking to try and sort of plug that gap and tackle that problem um, head on by connecting uh, people who are homeless with a really supportive online community Um, of other people in the community who want to help. And that community provide uh, funding and mentorship that then allows people struggling with homelessness to get a good job um, and really leave homelessness behind them forever. Um, And so, so far this approach has enabled us to support um, over a thousand homeless people across the country. And we have over 30,000 supporters. So people who come to the BEAM website to help others. Uh, And a good number of those supporters were actually previously homeless um, themselves at one point or have used BEAM at an earlier point in their life. And so there's a really powerful sense that communities do want to play more of a role in solving homelessness, uh, given the opportunity to do so.
0: That's amazing. So interesting. That stat you said right at the start there really, really stood out to me Like you said that that's the the people that we see on the street, which is probably what the vast majority of people associate with homelessness. You know, because it's what we can see when we're when we're out and about. You know, living doing our, our daily thing. Um, that's just five percent. That's staggering, isn't it? That there's so much more that we're we're just not aware of. So it's the things that you do. You know, you're saying you've taught us a little bit about being there. But that's I think that's a really good um, you know maybe lead the discussion a bit further talking about the things that the community can do that's maybe not on the surface you know things that um, that aren't so visible to us every day so you you've talked a little bit there about beam but that you go so much further than that initial step isn't it and it's really trying to offer different channels and, and different ways to help
1: yeah ex- exactly right and using um, technology is a uh, one way to, to try and enable that um, so uh, we kind of have several ways people can get involved they can um, come to the uh, website and they can see different um, homeless people who are currently using Beam, and they can donate to those people and remove financial barriers that currently exist um, for them getting into a job. They can also leave confidence-building messages of support that uh, really play such a, such a vital role in helping people uh, create that sense of self-belief they know to, they need to get through a really difficult uh, life transition. Um, and for the homeless people themselves, they'll get access to a hub uh, which they can access on a smartphone or laptop that will get for them if they don't already have one. Um, and on that, they can see a feed of other homeless people kind of making positive change, going to jobs, leaving homelessness behind. And really, that comes from this idea that if you see people like you creating change or doing something uh, which you yourself want to do, you're far more likely to be able to, to do it yourself. So really trying to think of ways to sort of bring these different Uh, previously quite broken up uh, areas of society together to solve a really, really difficult problem like homelessness.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, Ellie, can we just bring you in now? Can you um, tell us a little bit about homelessness in your borough in Leicester um, at the moment? You know, what's the current situation? Um, Are we already seeing the effects um, of the worsening, you know, national economic conditions that we're hearing about everywhere we turn? You know, are are we already seeing this impact um, where you are?
2: I think we've had an exceptional few years with um, the pandemic um, in terms of the impact that has on how people are presenting um, as homeless. And um, we did see obviously a massive upsurge with the the Everyone In campaign, which the government ran. And Leicester, obviously we had um, additional lockdowns and so our Everyone In campaign lasted um, much longer than other cities. in terms of the economic crisis, we um, are successfully rolling out as a household support fund at the moment in Leicester, which is just protecting those most vulnerable really from fuel and um, fuel, fuel and food poverty. Um, but we anticipate seeing the current economic crisis, particularly around fuel poverty, really hitting us later on this year as we start to enter the cooler months. Mm. Okay.
0: Um, and can we, we mentioned technology um, a little bit just now. So can we link that back again to Leicester? So is it fair to say Leicester's got a strong innovative ethos? Um, and could you talk about perhaps how that helps shape the work um, that you're doing in housing and homelessness?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Leicester is, I think, quite well known across the country for its homelessness strategy, in that we're, we're quite in it bit, but, Um, We do like to have a really mixed, diverse offer, uh, recognising that there's not a one size that fits all. So it's not just one pathway for um, someone who's facing homelessness, which is why beam just fit in absolutely perfectly um, with our model because it offers another sort of string to our bow in terms of trying to prevent homelessness by ensuring people find employment I mean one of the one of the other things about the Leicester model particularly is just the strength of partnership and that means that we you know with our with our local stakeholders that means that we're able to be quite agile and um, respond to local and emerging needs quite quite quickly but um, beam is this one of a number of initiatives that we we've done locally um, on in, in recent times to sort of respond to the changing need
0: mm, brilliant. um and seb did you want to talk about kind of your relationship um, with leicester um, and how, how, you know, how that's been going so
1: far? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, fr- from our perspective, I think we're really lucky to have uh, what feels like a very collaborative relationship with Leicester Council and kind of how that relationship works is they identify people who are accessing homeless services and who they think could benefit from Beams support, for Support. And we then work with that person to, in the first instance, identify their strengths and interests and then create a career plan sort of based around that that we can support them into. Um, And so uh, after we've done that, we will identify every financial barrier that that person uh, within Leicester currently faces to their goals. So that could really be anything for single parents. It's um, often things like childcare or it could be training, um, whatever it is. Uh, We'll create them a page uh, which has a picture on them, uh, a picture of them, and then uh, a brief bit about their story and kind of why they are where they are today. But we really keep that very forward-facing. So most importantly, kind of where do they want to get to? And then we go out to the local community uh, within Leicester to, to fund it. Um, so one really powerful example of this that we saw recently was uh, actually the first person who started the job um, through the Leicester partnership uh, was a lady called um, Jessica. And so she, uh, she was just 27 and she is a single mother. She'd um, left her last relationship um, and was at risk of homelessness. So was obviously in a really desperate place. Um, and she put together her kind of bean page and she wrote on it. And I just kind of noted this down. So I thought it was so amazingly expressed. She said, looking at the last few years, it has been challenging shortly after losing my job last year. My partner and I separated. Having to manage the separation from the father of my children alongside becoming a self-sufficient working mum, has been really tough. For example, because I didn't have any family or friends to look after my children while I worked, I began falling behind on my household bills and rent more than ever. Um, and through that page and um, with the support of um, BEAM and Leicester Council, she fundraised uh, just over £2,000 from uh, 55 members of the community. Um, and we, we use that to fund things like uh, work attire, travel class, a smartphone um, and also some training um, with the people that use BEAM to fundraise. Uh, it's not in any way reliant on them to go and raise that money. Of course, that's why they need our help. So we fundraise for them. Uh, and we do that through uh, quite a large group of people that donate every month and those donations get split equally between everyone who's fundraising on BEAM so we can kind of guarantee people they're going to hit their funding target um, and they're all going to hit it at roughly the same rate um, and then the caseworker stays very very involved um, in supporting them and works very closely with the council uh, to make sure that support is joined up and uh, it aligns with any housing plans they have um, but for Jessica she wanted to go and work as a carer and we have an employer partner Boopa, uh, Bupa who hire people coming through BEAM um, so she recently started work there. Um, she posted uh, an update when she started the job and that goes out to the people that originally supported her on Beam. Um, and she said, I cannot thank the Beam community enough. It's a very new feeling to me as I've never experienced people genuinely wanting to help with my goals. The fact that people have supported me in this way is amazing. Um, and it is amazing to see uh, Jessica's life transform in just a few short months. And she now has income, independence, and no longer has to worry about having a, a permanent place to call home. And of course, that's only really possible because of Leicester Council, uh, because of the people that come to Beam and support other people, uh, the local employers, like people who want to hire them. So it really is about trying to sort of draw all of these different groups together to kind of help people for the long term.
0: That's such a wonderful example. That's brilliant. And I was just thinking, as, as you summed it up nicely there, but it, that really kind of highlights all the steps in the chain and all the different people that are involved in something like that. Um, i think what's really wonderful about about this approach as well is is, is that um it really highlights that community driven approach you know how community can get involved in and in supporting each other um it's something that we're seeing a lot more of with, with and it's a, it's a lovely link as well with technology isn't it kind of community using technology for good and that mm. sort of thing um it does seem to be something that we're seeing more and more kind of in, in lots of different sectors is there? is that could you kind of pinpoint where that turning point occurred is it I know we've had lots of you know major events and with the pandemic and what's happening with the economy at the moment but is there was there a point when was it sort of a, a light bulb moment you think for people that they thought there is there's such a you know technology is is there it's easy to use it's out there we can use this um you know and and get involved as much as we can or was it the other way around you know was it wanting to do something and then utilizing the technology and able to do it do you know um, I suppose it's for both of you, really, where
2: where the where for, that... me, um, for me, I would say there was a light bulb moment. It was probably about um, 12, 18 months ago. So we must be quite far into the pandemic. People have really gotten used to um, remote working, which is completely new for me. I'd never, I'd never you know, had a meeting online before and um, realised actually the opportunities that that provided in terms of bringing people um, together and networking. And alongside that, obviously, we've got a generation of people who've grown up very, very tech savvy, um, who are used to to um, living their lives <laughs> through their phones, and and we do know that in fact, actually, you know, whilst there is some digital exclusion out there, um, a recent survey has shown digital exclusion isn't as as bad as potentially at first anticipated, but also. We also know that the homeless homelessness community do rely on their phones. You know, it, mm. it, is, it is one of a lifeline for, for people, particularly who are rough sleeping. You know, actually having a mobile phone is something that they do consider a priority. And so those two worlds colliding and, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to have have Beam contact us. It was just the perfect opportunity. And um, I do think we're going to see more of these types of of approaches which do use technology both to access but also to um, bring people together
1: yeah yeah completely agree with that and that the pandemic was a, a massive tipping point in that wider journey of people's mind shifting i also wonder if it's to do with this kind of general awareness that's sort of uh come into people's minds over the last decade or so which well really is a couple of things i guess one is that Social media provides access to a much much wider group of people than you ever would have encountered at any other point in human history, and that's as you're saying, any like very normal for people growing up. But um, I can still remember when sort of Facebook um, first launched and the um, kind of novelty, I guess, of having those online networks. But then also as time's gone on, those networks have just become so toxic uh, and negative. And I think now there's this desire to try and sort of tap into the power of that, but use it for really positive things like democratic change and community problem solving, as opposed to, you know, how big can we get this network and then let's sell advertising through it, which has sort of historically been uh, perhaps the way it's been interpreted.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think it's about empowerment as well, so that was one of my questions, Um, we've talked about kind of community coming together and people kind of wanted to utilize technology for the better, perhaps, Um, but something like Beam is kind of putting the power back into people's hands who perhaps felt well certainly felt very hopeless at some points I imagine and you talked Ellie there about people's phones being a lifeline so kind of putting is this a this is another great example isn't it of technology kind of giving people back that kind of ownership and power of their lives isn't it
2: again if I if I can just kick off and say that I think it's empowerment for two two different types of cohorts here we've got the people who donate you know they are you know as you said increasingly aware of rough sleeping or street lifestyles and um sometimes are reluctant to donate money because they're uncertain as to whether the money will go towards food or towards housing or towards substance misuse for example and i think that that you know people want to contribute and help but they don't want to do it the wrong way Mm. and so um By being able to um, contribute to something like this, it empowers the person who is contributing, donating that money to actually build and form a bond, with a relationship with that person um, who is going to benefit from it. But secondly, what I love about BEAM's approach is that it is absolutely person centred and it's about empowering that individual to find the right solutions for them. And the fact that they've got a caseworker, the fact that they almost sort of hold their hand through the process, regularly checking on them to to find find out where they're at and give them that encouragement and support um, to continue. And then once they're in employment, it's checking that they're in sustained employment. So I think it really empowers those individuals to feel... Um, that they can find the solutions themselves you know they may be facing homeless but they're not helpless you know they they mm. can make a difference in their own lives yeah
1: that's for brilliant. sure I, I guess the only thing to to add to that is um yeah the part of the kind of approach of empowerment which we try to deploy is based on uh, in previous roles i worked with uh, what are called personal budgets so this idea that rather than seeing what's available, and then trying to structure a goal around it. You actually say, look, where, where do you want to get to? It could be anywhere, but what does that look like for you? And then you can kind of backfill resource based on what that person says. Um, and so really, the the donations and the crowdfunding is based around this idea that if you give every uh, everyone everything they need to get to where they want to go, and they're really bought into the, the overarching goal itself, they're much, much more likely to be able to do it. And you kind of intuitively know that's true in your in your own life, right? Like you put much more effort into things you really care about and want to achieve. And so I think that's one way we try to sort of tackle that problem.
0: Yeah. Um, Seb, you mentioned earlier, what well, we've talked about kind of um, ongoing support for people as well. What is Beam's um, involvement once people are in employment? Is there, there must be sort of a level of aftercare or ongoing sort of check-ins and that sort of thing?
1: Exactly right, yeah. So generally we'll place people with Beam employer partners, as I was saying, Earlier, so that's a group of ethical employers uh, like Bupa or Asop, who will tell us what roles they're looking for, but then also uh, prioritise people for interviews and starting those jobs. Um, so that means the employers sort of very bought into providing that bit of additional support for someone if they need it, um, and then the caseworker will stay very involved. So we'll, we'll normally check in um, every week or two weeks, and that means we can do things like if they I don't know need to travel covering for a bit longer than they initially anticipated we'll provide them with some funding um, for that or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, the the kind of overarching focus to where we're trying to help people get to is this idea of sustained independence rather than just starting a job and then losing it the next week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much, you know, we, we talk about people when they need support is kind of giving them a a leg up, a foot in the door, that sort of thing. But actually for long-term success, it's got to be so much more than that. it? it's not just that initial, you know, helping hand. It has to be, every step of the way almost isn't
2: it yeah i mean for me one of one of the key characteristics actually of people who find themselves homeless or at risk of homelessness is is that support network you know if if you if you have a support network you've got plenty of people to catch you as you fall but if you if you don't have people to support you and encourage you and empower you then you know they're the individuals who are most at risk from from homelessness so the fact that they've got somebody a dedicated caseworker Who's actually there to encourage and inspire them is just fantastic. It really is.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really really interesting. And as as we all know, when when you're making huge changes, there's with growth comes kind of many struggles, doesn't it? It's not just sort of a clear linear path. And oh no, you know, from Mm. here better and better. There's lots of ups and downs. And if you're not, you know, if if it's just you on your own, like you say, you know, if you don't have that support network, it makes it so much harder, doesn't it? Mm. Um, so as we're kind of discussing using technology um, to change and improve people's lives um, around homelessness. Could we talk about sort of the perhaps uh, the, the wider implications or the wider necessity, perhaps? So um, one of my questions here is, is to ask you your thoughts on education and training and technology and skills. Um, so it's something we do a lot at Mantis. You know, we talk about um, data, data literacy. Um, the skills gap when it comes to the use of technology and people's um, access to technology. Um, but is there is there anything that you both kind of like to discuss on um, where kind of training and education comes into into this perhaps perhaps not with Beam you know directly um, but because we talked about reskilling and that sort of thing but there could we talk about perhaps the the wider picture perhaps what local government can do to support people kind of to really utilise technology going forward um, Ellie perhaps you can start with you on that one
2: yeah I think I think um... We, we've just done a, a Leicester survey, which was looking particularly at the levels of digital exclusion, um, obviously sort of during the pandemic, we found a lot of people suddenly depended upon having um, access into education, you know, by having multiple laptops and devices in their home. And it was a real concern. There were, there were many people who, during that lockdown, just weren't able to access the support that they needed. Um, one of the things that we um, had in our manifesto pledge before is to provide free Wi-Fi to all of our estates. So it's not just that it's the Wi-Fi, it's the, it's the data um, level as well. And um, it's one of the things that we're doing to enable people have easy access to services which are increasingly being delivered online um, as I say I think I think the younger generation are really switched on to this I think it is something that they're going to find quite intuitive in fact actually the, the, the place where I feel education needs to be focused in terms of the use of technology is is for the um, you know the older generation if I if I dare say mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think there's there's still a, a huge amount of anxiety. And frustration when when people first come to use it um, particularly since some of the past technologies that have been designed haven't necessarily been that user friendly <laughs> you know uh, so people have had bad experiences had their fingers burnt and then sort of sat at home going well i can't I can't do that i just can't do it so um, i think there's a huge amount of work around um supporting people to access technology um, for all of the all of the reasons we've discussed
1: yeah, and said. Yeah, exactly right. And um, as I briefly touched on earlier, we'll get every single person who comes to be a smartphone and laptop if they don't already have one, because it doesn't matter what job they're, they're doing. And we just think it's so fundamental to being able to access the workforce, um, being able to use emails, like turn up for video calls, things like that. So we'll um, provide people those tools. We'll also do sessions. We call them get connected sessions with people who are perhaps less. Uh, digitally literate or less confident uh, using them for whatever reason. I think that's such a a risk as kind of local economies grow and cities grow that you end up with uh, groups that are increasingly marginalized through things like just not having access to like basic technological um, tools and there was such a striking example of this early in the pandemic we launched an emergency uh, response to it where it wasn't about crowdfunding uh, support that gets people into jobs it was really just the, the basics and this was due to the fact that lots and lots of homeless people, the biggest single group of homeless people actually, are single mothers and uh, their kids were no longer at school. And they'd previously been very, very reliant on going to really bricks and mortar based uh, provision for like charitable help. And suddenly all of that pretty much overnight uh, dried up. Um, so we're getting things like fridges so they didn't need to leave the property and also laptops and tablets so that the kids could just engage in education. And it was that basically, they hadn't got those, those things, they People would have been like, you know, a whole term behind on school. Um, So, yeah, it's easy to kind of be a bit flippant about it and think it's just about, you know, going on Twitter or something. But actually, it's so fundamental, I think. It's just a basic quality of life now.
0: Wow, yeah. So your um, sort of business model or offering perhaps changed quite dramatically for a spell then during COVID.
1: Yeah, we ran both in parallel. So on the one hand, the labour market had obviously gone through this very profound shift. So the number of careers were able To offer people became a bit more limited and there were some people that wanted to do that and we just had to be very careful about it we would do health screening with a tool we co-created with the nhs um, as part of that process and then yeah on the other we were just delivering emergency care packages basically to people um, across uh, london which was just where we were working at the time Um, and the email we sent out kind of notifying the beam community that we were doing that bit of work brought in the highest number of donations in 24 hours um, of any email we've ever sent. And that still remains the case. And I think, again, it sort of really reflected that sense in which people were suddenly so aware of other people who were suffering much more than them in their community and just wanted a way to try and help. And there were other examples of that at the time as well that worked with Captain Tom Moore and his um, fundraising campaign, um, all of the people that signed up to volunteer for the NHS. So there was this real kind of um, empathetic response, I guess, to that early period, which... That was also really heartening to see, even if it was really, really difficult and terrible for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, um, I, I've, I was on a couple of calls earlier today, and but on both of them it came up saying we must stop talking about COVID now. You know, we must sort of look to the future <laughs> and, and stop looking back. And but probably well, no one wants
1: to say that word ever again.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> um, and while I agree with them, it's still really. I think it's so naive perhaps to say that the the impact is now you know we're still seeing the impact of COVID itself but obviously now with the economic impacts and things like that you know it's all still it still plays a part doesn't it so perhaps it'd be interesting to know kind of firstly beam how you currently sit you know with the the ongoing impact of COVID and then perhaps um to hear from you Ellie and how you know you, next steps for you on that I suppose. So, Seb, I suppose my long-winded question to you is, how are you still feeling the impact of COVID and and what are you doing about it, basically?
1: Yeah, completely. And I think, sadly, it's dovetailed straight into the cost of living crisis. So for people that struggled during that period, things are getting harder, uh, not easier for them. Um, And I think that there have been some aspects of it which uh, continue to, to be quite different, I think, in terms of how we deliver services. I mean, we've always tried to deliver an aspect of being remotely over things like video call. Um, but prior to the pandemic, I think that was seen as a much more sort of outside bet than it is now where actually, I think lots and lots of services have shifted to, to doing that. And so along with the smartphone that people um, get given when they join Beam, they'll also get this app called the Beam Hub um, and they can do a few things there. But one of the things they can do is really easily contact their caseworker, the one Ellie mentioned who will stay supporting them throughout the whole journey through things like WhatsApp, or they can very quickly Uh, book a a video call using Canly, um, and they'll do that over Zoom. So there's a sense in which that designing technology that's very easy for that group to use can kind of help them move through this um, change in a way that otherwise they might struggle with. Um, And I think, yeah, as we look to the rest of this year, uh, we need to make sure that that kind of employer engagement piece is really held very, very closely. Um, And that along with this kind of widening of the number of vacancies in different sectors that uh, groups that are previously have very, very bad employment outcomes actually managed to, to tap into some of those new opportunities that um, exist. And often when I talk to people actually about the employer partners, they the first question they have is kind of why would why would employer partners want to partner with a service like Beam? They must have you know, thousands of applications every day. I think one of the things that's changed is they are struggling to fill those vacancies. Um, but more than that, uh, there's much more pressure on employers to kind of give back to communities and do more than just make profit and by looking at kind of previously overlooked uh, talent pools um like the people that are using beam they can not just hire sort of great employees but also do really meaningful sort of social impact in in the work that they do
0: yeah brilliant thank you
2: and ellie oh goodness me um yeah, we we are suffering the effects of, of long COVID, as you can imagine. But it's not it's not just that. I mean, if you think we've had ten years of an austerity government, then we've had Brexit, then we've had COVID. Now we've got the cost of the living crisis, and all of these things build layer upon layer of complexities for for individuals in terms of you know how they how they live and their lifestyles, how they afford to live, and their access to both education, training, and employment. Um, in terms of the direct impact on our homelessness services, um, as I said, you, you know, we, we, we had to be really agile at the start of the pandemic and completely redesign all of our services. We had dormitory style accommodation, which suddenly we couldn't use. We had to provide individual temporary accommodation units. Um, we had an upsurge of I think 40% of single people um, Contacting us during the first part of the pandemic. And then when the pandemic, when the eviction moratorium finished, we then had a doubling of families contacting us at risk of homelessness. And of course, local authorities now do have that extended duty of having to um, prevent homelessness as well. So we've got a duty to those who are at risk. So the level of work that we and the level of cases that we see now is just gone through the roof and of course that has a lasting effect you know we we those people that we have found temporary accommodation for we need to find them a pathway into permanent accommodation and then you, you get into um, conversations about the national housing crisis and availability of social council homes so you know it there's, there's lots and lots that is is yet to come I think um, and as, as you quite rightly mentioned the cost of living crisis I think later this year will be some that we really do see another sort of wave or upsurge of people contacting us in terms of education as well I think um, you know they, they're still suffering the the effects of, of the pandemic you know the, the stresses that that had placed on school in terms of providing education many students are facing exams for the very very first time one of the things it did do though I think is polarize people a little bit In I think So what we came to realize in education was that some people access online really easily and much better than they do Mm. potentially in the classroom. Mm. And so, um, in fact, actually for some children where it works for them, it can work really, really well. Other children, my son being one of them, um, can't access education online. He just, he gets frustrated and throws the device across the room before he's even started the lesson. but also, I think one one thing that I've I've heard muted. I mean, it's a controversial thing to say, but um, I've heard people say that technology is actually proven to increase intelligence or learning as well. You know, in a way that ten years ago we were we were saying that our children being online was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. We're actually saying now, well, no, there's, there's actually some benefits. You know, let's let's give this a second chance. And I think that is something else in terms of the pandemic, which um, has taught us about technology.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on that note, so we've talked about kind of previous challenges up to present day. Um, it'd be great to know kind of what you're both planning on doing next. I suppose we can hear from you first, Seb. So perhaps short and long-term plans for Bean?
1: um For sure. So short-term uh, plans are to uh spread the work we're doing with uh, different councils. So Each quarter, we bring on a small number of kind of forward-thinking, innovative councils that normally have a homeless problem, but like Leicester, are sort of really interested in trying to commission a wide variety of approaches to, to, as uh, Ellie was describing, really fit around that person's need, uh, rather than just offering them a very limited range. Um, So yeah, if anyone listens to the podcast and works in local government is interested in finding out more, do uh, feel free to contact me um, on sev.beam.org. Um, but then I think kind the longer term, we're really interested to see how can we adapt um, the work that we're doing to support different groups beyond just the homeless population. I think one of the things that is sadly the case with homelessness, having worked for a very long time, is that it draws in people from lots of other kind of categories we create um, in order to, to kind of provide people with different services. So it could be uh, people have just left prison and they have 80 quid in their pocket and they've got nowhere to go and they end up on the streets, so or it could be. Someone's just uh, come over as a, a refugee and they've got nowhere to stay because they have absolutely no one they know here. And I think it'd be really interesting to see, could we bring Beam to those groups on a much wider level, you know, working with all refugees who have been granted uh right to remain in the country? And can we help them not just get a job, but kind of also feed into this community bit as well, like really help them integrate into the areas they, they live? Or can we do more upstream work with people in prison so when they come out, uh, they go into a job rather than having this transition period where they're... Normally, get a bit stuck and often end up reoffending as a result. Um, so those would be sort of longer term ambitions. How can we help uh, new groups as well?
2: Brilliant. And Ellie, um, well, I think I, after that, I'm just going to say, please come and work with us. Seb. <laughs> um, I mean, there is, there is some there's loads of opportunities there within what Seb has just described, and. Um, been you know looking at those types of things about prison leavers looking at refugees asylum seekers and how we can support that um, those are all things that are part of our existing work streams within homelessness in in Leicester City so I'd be really interested to to talk to you some more about that but we're, we're just in the process of refreshing our homelessness strategy Constantly looking for new ideas, making sure we've got that strength in partnership. Um, And I think in particular, one one work stream for me going forward is just that connection with NHS services around mental health, I think is a a really important one to to push. I am really pleased to say that we've just um, had some more funding for our Rough Sleeper initiative. And this time, it's actually lasting for a three-year period rather than a one-year period, which is uh, music to my ears because um, you often hear housing um, funding being referred to as tombola funding. You know, it's a sort of on a one-year, one-year basis. So to have something a little bit um, more secure for a three-year period is is um, a really exciting chance for us to to think about real long-term solutions.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I imagine a year goes pretty quickly as well, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so my final question. So this is um, one that we we like to ask all of our contributors. It's going to be a little bit different for you two, though. So we usually ask people, um, what would they do if they had 10 minutes in an Uber with Sajid Javid? Um, But I wonder if it's more appropriate to ask you the same question, but to say that you're in the Uber with perhaps Michael Gove or Eddie Hughes. Um, so, who would like to go first, and what they would perhaps chat about with them? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you want me to go first, Seb? So, if you, look, you so go for it. Look quiet there. Um, well, <laughs> one, one, one of them—I I have a whole long list, but I, I won't. I'll, I'll bullet point them. First one is about that Tomboiler funding, about um, actually trying to give us some more security in terms of. Um, funding these types of initiatives longer term the second one is around section 21 eviction notices in the private rented sector we we know that there are many more people on things like zero hour contracts that they are relying more on private rented sector accommodation than ever before we've got generation rent and the main reason we are seeing people become homeless in Leicester city is because of that section 21 eviction notice so stopping that would um, would be great. Um, I think again, what I was talking about in terms of um, mental health, making sure that the NHS are much closer with local authorities working on homelessness um, issues, and um, back to the the housing crisis stuff about creating the right environment for house building, council house building um in our in our cities and then very very finally just on the education stuff um, it's about apprenticeships it's about moving away from that really rigid model of GCSEs and making sure that we're getting people job ready for 18 and trying to match some of that skills gap that we've clearly got in um, in the national picture mm. That's my list. I'm sorry. It was a long <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> Hopefully
1: a long Uber <laughs> journey. Um yeah. Co- coincidentally, we've met Eddie Hughes before, and he is a monthly donator to Beam. Um, so each month he uh someone using Beam is uh supported by the Secretary of State for Rough Sleeping, which I still find uh pretty cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, in terms of what I would speak about, I guess. Um, really, I would talk about how for years we've seen the limits of a system that really narrowly defines what we think we can achieve uh, for homeless people, and today at BEAM we're solving problems that I know they both care deeply about, uh, inequality, homelessness, how we can support the most disadvantaged people in the UK into great jobs so they can thrive, um, and i would talk a little bit about how uh, BEAM does that and our approach, so partnering with councils like Leicester, Um, and other councils across the UK who collectively refer thousands of people to the Beam platform, uh, people who often live in homeless hostels and suffer from all kinds of challenges and how we can give each person a caseworker, a phone, a laptop if they need one, world-class software that helps them manage their journey into a job um, and how the communities will rally around people. So donating millions of pounds to fund things like employment training, but also providing just as importantly, these confidence building messages of supports and job opportunities as well. And a little bit about how it's proved itself an effective solution so far. We find that uh, people who we've supported have been out of work an average of five and a half years, but they start work um, 80% of the time. And often those job outcomes will create really large savings for taxpayers as well. So according to a report we did a couple of years ago, uh, we saved taxpayers about £31,000 for each person who uses Beam and then starts a the job. Um, So today we have great traction um, with different councils, but also a waiting list of them looking to uh, join the service, about 20 of them. So I'd say, Michael and Eddie, please can we speak to your team about scaling up the solution so we can use this community driven approach to end homelessness while saving taxpayers billions of pounds. Thank you.
0: Brilliant, that's great. (laughs) Be quite a long journey as well, but an interesting one.
2: I think I might prefer to be in Seb's taxi with them, actually. It's a little (laughs) bit more positive than mine.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you both so much for chatting to me today. It's wonderful to hear all the work that you've done so far, but also your plans for the future. Um, It'd be lovely to check in with you again in a few months, um, and we'll see kind of the, the challenges we're all facing then, but also even more progress that you've both made. So thank you. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you so much both.